Have you ever been to a movie and felt like, ew, what's going on here? I don't know what it is, but it's really creepy. There's something about it that makes my skin crawl. I don't think I can watch this anymore. I'm out of here. Oh, oh, wait. Don't leave before watching this episode, number 2143, where Bill and Sean Johnston, CG Bros, will be doing a deep dive into a weird place. When they answer the commonly asked question, what is the uncanny valley on the CG Bros CG Insider podcast? Welcome to the CG Bros Insider podcast, and thank you so much for joining us today. In today's episode, we're going to be answering a question that we received many times on our Ask Us Anything page on the cgbroswebsite.com, uh, cgbros.com. And we've touched on it here and in previous podcasts a little bit, but uh, we'll be taking it head on today together when we discuss what is the uncanny valley. And by the time we're done, uh, you'll have learned more than you thought you would about the uncanny valley and uh, why it's so disturbing for a lot of people. We'll uh, be telling you uh, who discovered it and uh, where it could be found today, as well as what you need to know to tread through this valley carefully and, and with your eyes wide open. You'll also get our personal and professional insights about what effect the Uncanny Valley is having on the entertainment industry and, more broadly, our society as a whole. Oh, also be sure to stay until the end of the podcast where we'll be reading some comments on last week's podcast made by sophisticated folks just like yourself. I'm Bill Johnston, one of your hosts for this podcast. And I'm Sean Johnston, the other. And together we are the CG Bros. Uh, have you ever heard of the Uncanny Valley? It, yes. It seems like a pretty creepy and scary place, right? Uh, even if you don't exactly know what the Uncanny Valley uh, effect is, everyone knows the Uncanny, uncanny Valley uh, effect when they see it. But uh, where did the idea come from? And, and to what extent is it actually a real thing? You know, we've heard people kind of throw the term around, but is it how real is it exactly? Uh, and Sean, you have an uncanny knowledge of the Uncanny Valley because you've worked in uh, 3D character animation for over 20 years, and you specialize in creating realistic characters and character performances. So what is the idea of the Uncanny Valley? It's the E-W-W-W-W-W, which is it's ew. <laughs> no, uh, it, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a term used to describe uh, the relationship between the human-like appearance of a robotic object and in the emotional response it evokes. Um, and in, in that phenomenon, people feel a sense of unease or even revulsion in response to humanoid robots that are highly realistic. And that's the original, um, co you know, coined by Japanese robotic Masahiro Mori in an article in 1970 he published. But it also involves uh, fleshy things that look humanoid but are disturbingly uh, odd and out of place and look alive, but not really alive, but just enough to give you nightmares uh, in your in your sleep. So the uh, it's actually become synonymous with just an uneasy feeling of viewing an animated character or robot that looks imperfectly human as we get closer to the realistic humanoid, um, either CG representation or robotic. It it's fun and, it, and it's happy and people are all excited and, and, it, and it looks great. But all of a sudden, when it gets too close to realistic uh, humans, but not quite there, there's a, 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 a evokes uh, this gross, you know, this ooh. Yeah. And, and Masahiro Mori, Mr. Mori, I'll call him from uh, this point. Mr. Mori. He, he was a major, you know, the reason why he was important is he was a major uh, figure in the field of robotics in Japan uh, 50 years ago. He was, he was a pioneer in the robotics field and he, he came up with this, this, term the uncanny valley uh 
and basically, it, 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 he proposed that it, we, you know, we would feel a greater affinity towards artificial humans um, until they become too realistic. Uh, and when they, you know, they, they, they reach a threshold to where, you know, we, we, the, endearing, the endearing qualities that they have uh, drop away. And, uh, you know, even slight differences, because we're, we're used to perceiving uh, other humans and reading, reading, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but reading people's faces. And when something's out of whack or, you know, there's, there's no reason for or, or logic behind the, 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 the emotion or the, the, the twitch of the eye. And if it, it's not synchronous with the performance of the, because it's, 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 a, it's a whole body type of performance. And you know that as a character animator that, you know, even if you have the, the, the lip sync perfect, if the eyes don't, you know, aren't, aren't expressing at the same time the mouth is talking and if the facial gestures aren't exactly correct, you know, that you, you get this weird weird behavior like the the it doesn't know how to how to behave it's, you know it's an artificial it's trying to act human i guess is really is probably a good way to put it. it it's acting human it's trying to simulate a human it's trying to give its best impression of a human which which really creeps us out after some point because you know we're all happy you know when we find when you know we we accept disney characters and and because they're not really realistic looking and they can they can have extreme poses and extreme gestures and and we think it's just fine it's just that when when you approach that level of realism, it, 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 it's it's kind of a creepy thing. Yeah, yes, and uh, a compelling. There's a there's actually it's funny. It, there's a lot of um, uh, research actually recently that's gone into this over over the last uh, since well since 1970. There's a little bit of research into it, but it seems to be probably five you know hundreds and hundreds of papers now. I think last time I was reading about it was about over 500 and. 510 paper just written on that uncanny valley talking about how uh, designers can design their characters more um, uh, to get get rid of that uh, the ooh factor in their characters but as as more and more people especially with video games uh, you know, trying to get realism into a, a game where you don't have a ton of uh, processing power which is now changing uh, it, it was a little bit more forgivable uh, early on, but now you see it in, in major films, uh, and there it, there is. I think they're getting much much better. We'll show some examples of that. I know you have some. I have some to show uh, those examples of how good they're getting, and have any of them actually crossed that uh, uncanny valley? But I, I was just doing just a little bit of, of uh, research on this topic, and I didn't realize that there's lots of of uh, peer-reviewed papers. Uh, there's even um, National Institute of Health, I think, has a the National Library of Medicine where they've got an uncanny valley effect. They call it UVE. And they also have a category uncertainty theory called CUT. And uh, it's a, per, per, a per, perceptional mismatch theory of uncanny valley could be understood as a, as a, they believe, as a naive claim that any kind of human likeness manipulation will lead to experience negative um, effects, affinity, at uh, you know the close to realistic levels that you would see in CGI and and robotics, but they've I don't think it's as clear cut as that. The um, it, it's it's super. I mean, it's deep. It's in. I think it's um, it's been talked about and, and written about, but there's not really. I think there's a general sense of, of what it is, but I don't think it's there's empirical um, you know information or data that's conclusive on it. Yes, I know they've done lots of different studies, and there's even a, 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 psych, a psychologists have even done 
studies on, on that, and I, I know you were referencing a few of those, and it has to do with more than just CGI and more than just you know humans. There, we, we've, there, there's uncanny valleys in all areas of our perception, and, and I think that's where a lot of those studies were going. They, they didn't specifically you know, focus on CGI and, and, and humans and robotics, but that's, that seem, seems to be where, where you know, the, the average person is going to be experiencing it mostly. I mean, they've got these kiosks popping up and they've got artificial uh, humans that are going into hospitals. And I mean, there's a whole, whole host of uses that, that they're, they're putting, us, uh, putting them to, and, and we're going to be experience them, experiencing them more and more as we move forward in the future. And, and I think the issue of the Uncanny Valley is going to become more and more important uh, as we uh, as we you know try to navigate how we're going to you know interact with these uh, th- these these uh, you know uh, avatars and, and yes. these artificial humans, if you will. Yes, and like you said, to go to your point about not just CGI or robotics or visual things stimuli, it's also if you have a, a voice that's produced um, from something that doesn't normally have a voice, that can give you that uncanny, uneasy feeling. Oh, I saw um, that in The Exorcist, I think. <laughs> yeah, or or you, or you know, animals or creatures or something like that having a human voice, or 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 a, a human uh, adult that's speaking like a child, or vice versa. It's very uh, you know, you get that uncanny feel as well. Um, but there's a there's a, a, a study, just another study, actually four studies uh, on just computer generated human facial um, uh, reactions to people based on mm-hmm. facial proportions. And then they added skin detail and texture. Uh, they added more and more level of that. And, um, and so they, it was interesting to see how, you know, judging, obviously people like ideal and in, in proportions of faces. And, and the more you go and extend that to very caricatured uh, face, it's, it, it can get to be very, very disturbing if you add uh, it's it's nice on t- in two D or stylized kind of animation. Um, I, I guess my example would be proportions of um, the Incredibles uh, by Pixar. Those are very cartoony looking characters with really wild proportions, but you know they don't have like human skin where hair is on it, and, and you know you don't go to that um, that depth of of uh, realism there. So. I think um, that's kind of, uh, and I'll show you some pictures of that as well. Uh, here, here's an example of one of the one of the characters from The Simpsons, uh, the old man, and so you can see it's disturbing. Yeah, the cartoons not. I mean, the cartoons kind of a, a creepy looking character too. But as soon as you start adding skin texture and hair the follicles, you, the more you try to get real into the re- re- realm of reality. Yeah. Yes, and and another one. Here's another one. This is a uh, SpongeBob. Uh, this is Patrick and SpongeBob SquarePants, and here's this cartoon version I'm showing. And then also uh, right next to it is when you start adding skin and realism to it. It's just very nightmarish. It so, is nightmarish. It's que- It makes me queasy. Yeah, and, and there's an artist Miguel Vasquez is really good 3D, and he depicts a lot of cartoon characters and uh, tries to make them more human looking. This is this is both of them side by side, SpongeBob and Patrick. See that's ni- that stuff of nightmares. Are it is nightmarish. Right it is very nightmarish. You know, it's funny that in in the past, uh, you know, we haven't really noticed the uncanny valley. I think uh, until really the gaming industry and the and CGI really came to fruition because you know, in the past works ha- have always been static. Mm-hmm. You know, they they haven't been moving, and so even those still images, as disturbing as they are, are probably even more disturbing when you when you, when they move. 
and they try oh, to you know, yes, movement. show yes. emotions, you know? I mean, how creepy is that? That would put me over the top, I think, with those SpongeBob characters. But, you know... Well, yeah, you, but I mean, to your point, there's also... You could look on Vimeo and see some artists on there that... Uh, work with um, C4D and they, or, or let's say Houdini and they've generated um, just blobby fleshy looking things that are, that are moving around and and kind of sticking to the surface of, of things. And um, you see the skin and it's, it's all skinny and it looks like human skin. It's, it's shiny or wet. Um, Very, very gross. Almost like an octopus. When you'd see it out of, you take it out of the water. It's got that sliminess to it. But it's rolling around and moving like it's alive, and that's kind of uncanny and gross too. So, uh, or or you see, you'll see a hand with um, another hand underneath the skin of the hand. I, I have an uh, an image of that. Let me see if I can bring that up and let you see that one too. That one's pretty pretty creepy. Oh shoot, no, I can't. I, I'll have to let you. I'll have to show it to you later. There, <laughs> I don't have it yeah. available. Yeah, well, uh, just to to kind of. Tail, tail off of that, uh, Mr. Mori, you know, in creating his Uncanny Valley, he, he created a diagram which kind of depicts, and he places along this, this it's a graph basically, and he he places the different types of of uh, and levels of of the Uncanny Valley of different types of things like uh, Bonraku puppets and Okina masks and uh, which are you know more Japanese cultured stuff, but. Um, and while those are probably good examples, it's probably hard for for us in the United States to to understand that. But basically, he he. He placed corpses and zombies. You know, you talk about the life, lifeless quality of, right. of, of this Uncanny Valley. And it basically, I think, Sean harkens back to, they look like corpses they or do. zombies. Yes. Uh, and and it, it's... It, they look dead. They look dead. They don't look... Na- they don't look... Yeah, there's no spark of life in them. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, as humans, we naturally fear death, most of us. Um, and, uh, you know, you were talking about some studies. They, they, they were... They, they, one of the studies that I was uh, looking at said one of the reasons that we... You know that we tend to experience the, the uncanny valley is because we tend to identify potential threats in our surroundings, and if things that we see don't fit into a recognizable pattern, it, it gives us that sense of unease. It, it takes us into that valley, and it, uh, you know, we're not sure how to react to to to, to that. Yes, um, yes, and- I do have an image. Uh, this is just a, this is an image of of a K. Um, let me see. Uh, let me see if I can bring that up. Um, let's see if I can um, zoom in. Actually, go ahead and you go ahead and talk while I get it well, ready. You know, I, I know you've been to the Hollywood Wax Museum, and, and oh, we're yeah. always hearing about how lifelike and natural those wax replicas are. And well, I don't, I don't mean any disrespect to the artists that created them. Uh, they're interesting works of art, and the 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 cool way the wax uh, scatters the light in the skin kind of gives that skin a more lifelike quality. But if if you've seen them, you, you know exactly what Mr. Mori means about you know the corpse like appearances. They, uh, you know, they even have a few of them around Las Vegas, but. They, they exhibit that exact uncanny uh, valley quality. Yes. If you can see behind me now, you can see that K that has skin and hair on it with a with two rings and almost piercings. So you, that's, that's, that would be an example of something that's really super, uh, super creepy and, and uncanny, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, what about, well, what about uh, animals? I, mean, I, was, I was also reading up on that the animals have a very similar reaction to, yeah, it's not just it's not just uh, humans that have that uncanny valley exactly. Well, it's it's there's this is a funny situation where where I'd be walking my dog and around my neighborhood and typically the the dog will see 
eh, your typical, you know, I guess typical human. What is that? But just walking around, but you see somebody with a, with an unusual hat on or walking at a very weird gait, um, very slow or something like that. And all of a sudden my dog uh, will, will start barking and look at it like something's wrong. Either it's sick or that person's sick or something it's reacting to, whatever is, is out of place. The, the, norm, the normal things that a dog would perceive as, as human movement or human uh, dress. Very, very interesting. And there's yes, also, and my, go ahead. I was going to say, yes, and my cat, you know, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I will throw on a Halloween mask and that, my cat freaks out. I mean, it, it, it's, it's part of that uncanny, yeah, he doesn't recognize it. And I, of course the mask isn't Are you a, saying a something? normal mask. Are you I'm, saying something um, underneath the mask so it hears your voice? Oh, no, no. He just sees the mask and he doesn't know who it is. It's, it's uncanny to him. It's not familiar to him. Right, right. And it'd be different if it was just an old person or something. What kind of a mask is it? Oh, it's a monster mask. Okay. Yeah, and it's probably the proportions are all out of whack too, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Long chin, big, big eyes, uh, teeth are kind of sticking out. Yeah, nose is humongous. Kind of, kind of like some of these. I mean, we've talked about some of the notable movies in the past. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and show you a couple of images uh, that I, um, that are fond that I'm fond of that are special to me. No, oh, I want to see them. All right. Well, here's one. This this is kind of where I think, uh, at least in the United States, uh, the uncanny the concept of the uncanny valley really took hold was when this movie came out. And this is from uh, Final Fantasy: uh, Spirits The Spirits Within. within. Mm-hmm. And uh, this the, the character on the right is played by Donald Sutherland. And uh, it, while it had a lot of, I mean, it was groundbreaking. Don't get me wrong, but it still exhibited uh, some of the qualities of the uncanny valley, uh, where these characters. And, and these, these really don't look so bad when they're in static images, but once they start to move and you see their eyes trying to blink and look around and you try to see their mouth move, it's just like, oh, God. Uh, yeah, so here's one that's actually visually gross. This was from uh, Polar Express, uh, where they actually tried to... It looks like in this, this movie, they tried to really push the boundaries, really try to get that human-like look, but then they, it, and it really made these characters look odd. And then uh, they, you know... Contrast this with Tom Hanks' character, which looks kind of cartoony. You know, they they didn't really they weren't really consistent in this movie with the different styles of, of, of that they were trying to achieve the, the level of realism. They weren't consistent with the characters. The Polar Express but, beatdown. I know Robert Zemeckis. He he is he's done some really creepy movies <laughs> with CGI. There's another here's another one. Here, here's a shot from uh, Beowulf, um, and that was extremely creepy. Uncanny Valley. You know, I thought Angelina Jolie's character actually wasn't that bad. I, well, I thought she, she, she looked pretty good. I think she, well, you know, gosh, Sean, <laughs> she does look pretty good. But but I think her body proportions were way off. They, they didn't. Oh, you mean I, from her actual body? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it looked like she had a huge head on a small person's body to me. Uh, here's a couple other images uh, of Beowulf where you can see the skin doesn't really uh, do any subsurface scattering. Here's this image from The Last of Us. Um, until they try to move and talk, it's fine. Here's a really gross one from uh, Mars Knees Moms. I mean, look at this thing. It's it's just got that creep factor. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. And well, look at Angelina in this one. I thought her face. They did a great job on her face. The eyes. Um, I could see a little bit of of uh, uncanniness in the eyes. They're not moving correctly, or they're not. There's no not enough shine in there. But I think her mouth is not bad. The skin's kind of interesting. It's not. It 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 wasn't as bad as I thought it was. That was probably the best one. Yeah, well, let's see some more. All right, well, here's... Uh, here's uh, now, this is one of my favorite uh, movies, uh, recent movies anyway. Uh, they did a fantastic job of integrating CG with the live action. And, uh, you know, where, where this is a minor, kind of a minor example. The eyes do give you that 
sense of uh, unease, as beautiful as they are, and they're actually rendered quite well. They did a really, really great job on the eyes. Yeah, the tracking uh, here, was fantastic. And here, here's another pretty gross one. This is from uh, uh, Chris. I think it was a Christmas, Christmas Carol. Carol. Yeah. 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 That pretty, was pretty nasty. Uh, they use a lot of motion cap in that. When you when you use motion capture on characters, it gives them a. It, it, it is oh, extra creepy. Monster House. Yeah. And here's a, a prime example of that. I mean, the, the the facial animation was good. The lip sync was good, but they used motion capture of, of real children and it it just freaked me out it just freaked me out and and uh here's another one which actually wasn't too bad but but here again you know, look at those guys uh, creepy, yeah. uh uncanny uncanny and then of course uh this is the uh coup de gras <laughs> of course <laughs> scorpion king <laughs> yeah the rock uh, just just awful just just a terrible terrible scene the animation of the of the scorpion was actually pretty good it's just the the rending of the character and the animation of the character was just terrible. Well, it's interesting that you said the um, uh, the uncanniness of some of the of, of Monster House. Um, so if you look at if you look at this particular one by the Jim Henson Studios, this is a uh, called uh, the Sid the Science Kid. When I first saw this, I was really creeped out of the the character, all the characters moving around in human. It was just, I mean, if you could look at that, it's pretty creepy with the character in the middle. With his purple hair, and it's in their stylized characters doing uh, motion capture. Very, I mean, you know, it almost creepy. it almost harkens back to Hanna Barbera and some of the you know costumed characters. But you can see they're obviously not costumed characters. And but and it's hard to tell. It kind of it, it kind of looks like it is in a way too. But you know, and you're it, that it isn't. So that's just so <laughs> weird about it. Um, yeah, that's very it, uh, Here's another one from uh, Mom's Need or Mars Needs Moms. This is kind of one of the characters in there that is just. It, watch how he jumps off. It just his whole creepiness of this of this character's face. He's super overweight, and it, I don't know. Th- th- this I agree. This is another Zemeckis film, unfortunately, um, that uh, he was involved with producing. So, <laughs> you know, Shrek had some of those some of those uncanny moments too. The, the humans in Shrek, very right. creepy characters. You uh, know, where, I, where Disney seemed to avoid that. I mean, when, with Big Hero Six, I mean they they, oh, yeah. they they totally avoided that altogether. But but I mean, if you look at this, look how realistic all the textures are and the lighting and everything and the and the um, the fat and everything in the face and the the um, oh gosh. But well, you know, if it looked if it looked if it, if they actually truly were indistinguishable from human other you know real humans, mm-hmm. we wouldn't feel that uncanny valley feeling, right? To something you said earlier in the in in this podcast, you were talking about not just um, you know characters that that have different proportions that are that are realistic, but a lot of the nightmarish things that are uncanny. I first saw in uh, Jacob's Ladder. Uh, remember that movie? That that is a real creepy thing where you saw movement that was just that you would normally not see in a, in a head, and it was just it was so gross to see it because they they had the the normal um, dolly of the camera in and out, but, and the body wasn't really moving fast, but the head was moving extremely fast. Yeah, I, I think, think there's a shot in that movie where you're driving in the back of a car and the head's doing that too. Yes. It, yeah. That, that, and, and there's another one where there it's, it's, uh, it's almost like a torso on top of something where it's doing that same thing. This, uh, another movie called inner space. I, I really thought that was a really well done one. Also that uncanniness, grossness to it. It's like your head can't move that fast. And it's just, it's so awesome with Martin Short when he was um, changing into, uh, well, Cowboy was changing in back into the character Martin Short plays. Pretty cool. 
Yes, I think it goes goes back to our childhood fears of dolls coming alive. I know that when we were kids, we used to have have all these action figures, GI Joes and creatures and robots and ventriloquist dummies and stuff. And we'd play with them during the daytime, but when the nighttime came, we would throw those things in the toy box that I think was located at the end of my bed. And uh, I'd pile a bunch of books on, and stuff on top of it to make sure that it was heavy enough so that those dolls could not come out at night and cause me havoc and grief. Well, yeah, you, you terrorized me. Remember <laughs> with the Recessi Annie doll that you had and what you did with that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, what, did, yeah. what did you do, Bill? What did you do? Tell, tell uh, that's, the that's, that's for another podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that was amazing. T- TMI. Well, you know what, what really kind of it kind of reminds me of, uh, well, remember Trilogy of Terror with Karen Black oh, in the segment yes. where, the, where the woman played by Karen Black says she's terrorized by this 10-inch tall uh, Zuni fetish doll in her yes. apartment. It's running around cut, cutting her with the little knives and stuff. That's, that's the kind of stuff I feared when I was a kid, when those G.I. Joes would come out of the box. Or what about the what about the um, the Twilight Zone where the this little spaceman? Oh right, the little zapper guys. Yes, that's right. It, oh yeah, back with the hillbillies. That's yeah. a great. That's a great episode. I, yeah, I that was great. That one is, but that is a good one. Um, well, no, I, we, to... I was just going to sh- show a couple more. Of, okay, go of, ahead. Obviously, this this one is is one that uh, is is very uncanny. We've, well, we've see, talked exactly. about this one. See how is it was, is, when his mouth moves? That's the problem. Right. This is this is Clue and Tron. Uh, his his character Jeff Bridges. It just the mouth doesn't work right. The eyes don't work right. They look they look dead. Dolly Dolly. They just don't reflect correctly. I think we've shown that one before. Yeah, the hair looks good. Yeah, the hair looks really really good. <laughs> uh, another one. Let's see. Let me show you some of the uh, some of the other characters that are, are disturbing. This is Ed Ed and Eddie as human beings. So I think that's kind of a. The creepiness Smokes. to it, and and this one, look at look at uh, Fred Flintstone. <laughs> Isn't that great? He is creepy looking, <laughs> and then of course Mario. Actually, he doesn't look that bad, does he? I mean, it is a little bit creepy, but got a little bit of Mario, um, and then more more of the Simpsons here. This this one's really oh, creepy. Gosh. That's nightmarish. Well, you know, some of the most recent research uh, really seems to point be pointing to the fact that it's going to be actually impossible uh, to get through the heaven, uh, the, the uncanny valley, heavenly valley, <laughs> the uncanny valley, because it's it's actually a wall. Um, it, when it comes to our innate ability to detect the sl- these slight, minute, subtle differences in, in these human replicas that are they're becoming more and more sophisticated as time goes on, as technology moves forward, uh, and the reason that it might be impossible is because our ability to to uh, to see the see these uh, these these imperfections uh, is increasing as the technology increases. So you know we're our, our sensitivity and our sophistication and our level of of uh, you know as a viewer to be able to see these things grows as the technology improves. So it's it's we, we're we're training the technology to get better, but then that trains us to see the, the more more flaws in it. And so it's kind of a strange thing. And um, you know, and one thing's for sure, I guess if we if we were to actually conquer you know, get across this uncanny valley. What did that? What would that mean, Sean? I mean, oh well, I could tell you what it means. It, and I'm here. Some of the examples uh, that I believe have crossed it. The this the Terminator Dark Fate. I mentioned it several times. Mm-hmm. I thought Arnold in this this was fantastic. He looks. Look at the look at that character. It looks just like Arnold. Animated animated. Um, I can show you what it looks like when he's actually moving. And this is when he's actually moving. So. It it looks just like Arnold back in the eighties, just perfect in, in Terminator One. I thought it, they did a great job on Sarah Connor as well. 
It was so, I couldn't tell. I was, I was blown away. John, Sarah, and again, Arnold, that just was fantastic. They, they, in my opinion, crossed that, that uncanny valley. The, the other one, I believe, is, is, was Rachel in Blade Runner 2049. I thought mm-hmm. that was fantastic. I, I, they blew it away. They blew me away. Avatar, obviously, was, was really good because you have those human qualities but, and the skin and the eyes. But I think a lot of it has to do with the eyes um, to the soul. Uh, cliche. Well, you know, if we can if we can create androids or or humanoids that are indistinguishable from real human beings, like they like in Blade Runner or even Westworld for that matter, you know what what kind of world would we be living in? I mean, I, I wonder if we'll ever get there. That, that's why I'm thinking we'll never get there is because you know we're just becoming too. There's not they won't be able to fake it. There's just no faking it. We'll be able to tell no matter what. Well, here's a solution to if you're doing, in my opinion, going forward, I did mention this before, but the solution to a lot of these deep fake, I'm sorry, I just blew it. I just probably just gave you the punchline is deep fake. <laughs> well, the AI deep learning, you mean? Um, the, the, the actual visual deep fake that they oh, that oh, they're sure, replacing sure. the faces with. If you want to do somebody who is um, truly alive, uh, for example, uh, actors that have, have, have aged and they want to they want to put put uh, them in movies into perpetuity then they would do the use the deep fake that to me um, that makes total sense because the youtuber known as shamook who um uh did deep fakes uh, he did a deep fake for the mandalorian uh where mark hamill's character came came to uh luke skywalker came out and it was amazing right well not until it was even really amazing when this guy did a deep fake of that exact scene ends up getting hired by um um ilm so uh, people people uh i think it's it resonates with people so i think it's going to work as far as that goes other other character you know other characters that are non-human i don't think it's going to be as as as, uh, easy to do well especially in real life and you're you know for for robots say or, or personal assistants that are they're humanistic or humanoid formed, right? You know they're they're trying to they actually got them in in hospitals in Japan right now that they've got uh, you know where there's there's infectious folks they they have these robots with with human tops that go in and and talk to the patients so that a, the real doctor doesn't have to do that. Don't you feel? Um, have you seen the videos from um, one of the robotics industries? I guess MIT Robotics Lab, I think it is, where they have the the dog kind of walking oh, around. Oh, DARPA. Yeah, the DARPA video. Yeah, I, I just, yeah. I, I think, in, and they kick it, they kick at it, and it, well, and yeah, it bothers right. me. It, it gives me this feeling of, oh, gosh, I want to I wanna help it, you know? Do they have, do I empathize have with rights? It. Yeah, with, do yeah. they have rights? Can we abuse them? Can we, you know, yeah, there's a whole bunch of ethics that, that'll come around. That's what I was kind of alluding to when I asked if, you know, what would happen if we actually, you know, if they are if robots, and, and especially humanoid robots, were to come into uh, vogue, uh, right. In everyone's home, right. how would we handle that? How would we would we slap it around? Would we? Compl- oh gosh! I mean, you know, I mean, would they be able to call abuse hotline on us? You know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I right, you're right. When they're pushing that thing around and it's trying to trying not to fall, uh, they even they even were trying to what was that the the bull or what was it the cow or something? I forget what it was, but <laughs> mm-hmm. they're they're trying to kick that thing over. I felt bad for that. That oh, I know, slipping and sliding in the snow and the ice. Oh, so sad. Well, there's 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 a lot more that we could talk about uh, and that we didn't cover on this, but I think we got a we touched uh, touched pretty pretty uh, pretty heavily on 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 the subject of defaking, and uh, we've got some mailbag comments. I think uh, before we we head out, Sean. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So this is uh, from uh, our Is Being a Starving Artist a Noble Pursuit uh, podcast. Uh, Mitchell White says, as a former art dealer in New York City for years, I had the answer to this years ago. No, it's total BS because most are pretending to be starving just to look good when in fact, most often they came from extreme wealth. Extreme. It was all fake. You know, I've, I've kind of sensed that uh, at some level. Uh, some of those galleries that it's all kind of, you know, rich, rich kids or, but you know, I don't think it's always the case, but I think in a lot of those New York city galleries, that is the case. I agree. I agree. Here, here's another one, uh, is be, from the same podcast is being a starving artist in old pursuit. Uh, Kanul Aslan says, uh, okay, art feels your soul, feeds your soul, but what about your stomach? That's a That's good a point. Good point. <laughs> exactly. And uh, this final comment is uh, from the same podcast as being a starving artist in noble pursuit. Uh, by Sarah Santa Maria, and Sarah says, "My first career choice was drama. That was shot down real quick when I went into healthcare instead. Joke's on me. Should have kept with my dream." Boy, you know, Sarah, I feel your I feel your pain. I did kind of a, the same thing, and I alluded to it in in one of our recent podcasts where I talked about how I was dissuaded from taking an art career for something that was more respectable, a quote more respectable. And I became a manager at a large national healthcare company, and I was miserable for the most part. And I was fortunate enough to have jumped out of the healthcare uh, field before it was too late. And I actually have my brother, Sean, to thank for giving Aww. me that support that I needed to make that change. So thanks, Sean. Yeah, thanks for the props. Appreciate that. <laughs> well, thanks for being uh, part of our podcast today. And we enjoyed talking to you and answering the question, what is the Uncanny Valley? And we hoped you got a lot out of it and that you came away with a solid understanding of what the Uncanny Valley is and uh, how, it, how it came to be. Have uh, you learned some of the challenges faced by the art and entertainment industries as a result of this what we've talked about now is a real phenomenon and uh, why uh, it's not limited just to humans. And we also talked about the main reasons why we think this valley exists and will continue to exist and may not even be crossable and how it seems to be tied to you know, our evolutionary existence, actually. Uh, we also showed you a few examples of what we think fall within the valley and, and are maybe even breaching you know, the crossing of that valley. And we gave you some of our thoughts and insights as to what we think of the Uncanny Valley as we move into uh, interacting more and more with human-like robots in our daily lives. I definitely think we can cross that. So do us a favor and let us know what you think of uh, this podcast in the comment section below. Give it a like and pass it around, especially if you've enjoyed it or found it valuable in some way. We do a brand new podcast of the CG Insider podcast every week, and we discuss uh, different topics relating to the business, the art, and the craft of CGI animation and digital VFX, as well as other interesting and related subjects that come to our attention. Let us know about uh, some of the questions you have about CGI or whatever. It's easy just to head over to our website at thecgrails.com, up to the About Us section, and to the Ask Us Anything tab. We're really looking forward to uh, seeing you back here for next week's podcast, where we'll be answering another listener's questions. We get a lot. How much do CGI and VFX artists get paid? Hey, are we even allowed to talk Oops. about that? Did I? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't think it matters. We're going to because you need to know. All right. We'll see you here next time. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for today. We hope you've enjoyed the CG Bros answer to the question, what is the Uncanny Valley? Thanks for being with us. If you're watching us on YouTube and you enjoyed the experience, please give us a thumbs up. Be sure to leave a comment, too, because we might share your comment on a future podcast and mention you by name. Also, please share the video with your friends on social media. If you're not yet following us on our channel, please hit the subscribe button. Subscribing is free. And ring the bell so you'll be notified when we post our next podcast. 
If you're listening to us on our audio-only version, please leave a comment and download the file. Oh, and don't forget to tell all your friends that they, too, can enjoy and download the audio-only version on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible.com, and Stitcher. If you're listening to us on Spotify, you can share the podcast to Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr with the share link. That's the circle with the three dots in it. Contact us on our website at thecgbros.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Tumblr, and Instagram. And be sure not to miss the next episode when the CG Bros will answer the question, how much do CG VFX artists get paid? This has been episode 2143 of the CG Bros CG Insider Podcast. See you next time.